0: Hello and welcome to The Messy Studio with Rebecca Kroll, the podcast at the intersection of art, travel, entrepreneurship, philosophy, and life in general. I am Ross Tickner, Rebecca's audio producer, podcast guru, and her son. On today's episode, we are talking about giving an artist talk. Uh, Public speaking ranks very high when it comes to events in your life that create anxiety. Yet as part of an art career, at some point you will be called upon to speak about your work. This could range from an informal gathering of people you know to an interview on widely shared media. Why should you embrace these opportunities and how can you handle them without too much stress? With me, as always, is Rebecca Kroll.
1: Hello, everyone. Um, A topic that uh, I think everyone can relate to. (laughs) And it's interesting, even um, very professional artists who have been on this podcast have sometimes been quite nervous about it and um, even turned me down on occasion <laughs> uh, and and appearing with, you know, at the podcast time with lots of notes and questions and, and just kind of a general feeling of, I don't know what I'm getting into here.
0: Yeah. When podcasts are at their best, it kind of feels like you're sitting in on a conversation between friends, not like a formal interview with like staged questions and stuff like that. And-
1: that is true. But. If you haven't done one, you know, it can feel, well, like, yes, like a a regular interview. Right.
0: Well, and we don't think too much when we're doing a podcast about the fact that a thousand people are going to listen to this. You cannot. (laughs) (laughs) But, but it's so it's a very different experience when you go out and you speak in front of people who are looking at you, even if it's only like 20 people.
1: It's really different. You can you can definitely ignore the fact that you have a big audience when you're not looking at them. Uh, I I think some of this anxiety, um, at least for people that I know that went to school around the same time I did, and I don't know if this is still true, but we had something called speech class in high school and you had to get up and talk in front of your classmates. And it was, it was very hard. I think usually the topic was something that was sort of arbitrary or something you just picked that you figured you could talk about. Uh, your audience was either sort of uh, bored, or maybe competitive, or something.
0: Yeah, as I recall, the goal was basically to to talk for like five minutes without stopping.
1: <laughs> and so you're you're talking to people that aren't all that interested, um, or maybe hoping you fail because it'll make them look better when it's their turn. And then you have you know teachers sitting there grading you and talk about high stress. But I think, I mean, when I think about my own feelings about speaking in public, I can definitely feel my memory going back to those moments when I'm looking at a bunch of people, and I was a fairly shy person, so it was harder. Um, and I wonder how many people can, you know, if they really think about it, think, yeah, I kind of think it goes back to school. <laughs> um, and and what, what was actually being taught in a class like that, I'm not sure, because that's not the typical situation when you're giving a talk, because usually when you're an adult, you are talking about something that you're passionate about, or you're interested in.
0: Right. And it's just kind of a different dynamic. Uh, Normally, um, the the kind of speech that you're giving um, in in a classroom setting, it's not about about your personal work. And it's not it's it's maybe like something that's more like a political speech or something like that than something that people actually experience for the most part in real life.
1: Mm hmm. It's. It's used. I mean, as I recall, we just sort of pick a topic that maybe your hobbies or something. You know? Right, right. <laughs> but not necessarily something you're pouring your whole heart into. And it's very self-conscious situation. Um, as an adult artist, practicing artist, when you're asked to talk about your work, usually you've got a pretty interested audience. They're there because they want to be there. And you're talking about something that is really, really important to you. So that sets a whole different dynamic up from the beginning.
0: Well, and and that you're an expert on. Yeah. Um. You know, most of the time in school or, or in most of these other circumstances where people are giving speeches, um, they're not actually an expert on whatever they're talking about. Um, artists are in a unique position where when they're talking about their work, they are the definitive
1: expert <laughs> on their own work. Uh, yeah, that's something I always like to remind people of when they when they say they can't talk about their work. Um, no one can really argue with you whatever you decide to say about it is what you want to say about it. And so they can't really fact check you or anything. It's, it's your own opinions and your own experience. And so you really have a wealth of things to draw from. And I also think the typical audience is supportive, not just interested, but supportive of you. They're there um, to find out more about you and your work. And I think they want you to succeed, basically. But at the same time, if you stumble, if you forget what you wanted to say, they're going to be pretty forgiving. It's because a lot of them will be artists themselves. And, you know, they're just glad it's not them up there talking. (laughs) But (laughs) I've always felt, most of the time when I've spoken to groups, that whatever was coming back to me from the audience was supportive. And I think that's really helpful to remember. There's kind of little tips about, you know, singling out one person to talk to or imagine everybody's sitting there in their underwear or something. I don't know. I don't really use those things. But what I just try to do is feel feel the sense of the group as being interested and supportive. And that that is really a big thing. Um, even if you do happen to mess up or forget or whatever, it may end up being sort of endearing, you know, sort of shows that you're... you're you're just a person. And everybody can sort of relate to that. And I often think of this um, famous moment for the singer, Patti Smith, when she forgot the words to a Bob Dylan's song that she was performing at the Nobel prize ceremony for Dylan. So she had a huge, enormous worldwide audience. She forgot the words <laughs> and um, she, but but what was so beautiful about it was she kept her poise and she, she apologized rather humbly and said, I'm so sorry, and paused a little bit and went on. And we I mean, could see this moment on YouTube, but I think it's, it just sort of spoke to me somehow as, um, you know, we can all have these moments and it's really how you handle them. And I thought she really did a beautiful job. So if you can remember that if you do mess something up, speak start things out of order, do anything that kind of throws you off base. If you just say something like, um, excuse me, I just need to start over again with that part or something. Everybody's going to be fine with that.
0: Yeah. It, it's, um, you know, most, most people are, are are pretty accommodating and most of the circumstances that you find yourself in as an artist are not going to be very high pressure speeches. That right. It's, it's going to be, you know, a smaller group and people who are interested in what you have to say. And so it's not going to be something that you need to be, as anxious about as as patty smith giving (laughs) right you know singing a song and for for the nobel prize committee
1: yeah that that was pretty high stress um and and that's not to say that you know i don't want to discount that this experience can be nerve-wracking and it can can be very difficult as we started you started out in the intro saying it is when people rank um life events that give you stress um you know giving giving a talk is is in there and so it's okay to feel nervous um it's and 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 once in a while, you might have an experience that, when you're actually doing it, was nerve wracking. There was there was one that I had that I'll just tell quickly. <laughs> um, I was at an opening for a group exhibit, and I I understood that we were going to be asked to say a few words about our work. Um, I assumed I would be standing in front of my work, which is you know you can point to things and sort of do it off the top of your head. You know, and just say what you're thinking about when you painted or whatever. Uh, I was not concerned about it. And um, then I I began to realize that we were being herded into this other room where there was a stage <laughs> and a microphone and away from the paintings. And at that point, I also realized I might have had one too many glasses of wine, <laughs> which was not really a good thing. I mean, it's one of the tips I always say is if you know you're going to have to talk, you know, go go lightly on the on the drinks before your speech.
0: I don't know. I've seen some pretty terrific best man (laughs) speeches at weddings.
1: (laughs) Well, when you're trying to really, um, I I don't know if those people are all that nervous, but when you're trying to really convey something important, I think it's better to have a clear head, maybe a little relaxed, but basically anyway, it put me in a bit of a panic because (laughs) I thought, what am I going to say? And I don't really know because I, I remember that I got up there in front of the microphone, looking at seated people not sort of standing around casually, but people sitting there expecting something. And I really had not prepared because I expected something different. And I'm sure I did all right, but it was a real panicky moment for me, and probably the worst one I can remember. So <laughs> Well being being
0: thrown a curveball like that can really throw you off your game.
1: Yeah, I, I really, you know, looking back, I should have you know, as, as advice, you know, ask, well, what is, what is the program exactly? Where will we be? Um, will I be able to, uh, you know, point to different paintings and just talk about them? Is it in a separate room? Will I have a podium or anything? That's that's another kind of security blanket, I guess, to have something to stand behind. Um, and try to figure out what what your setup is before you do it is very helpful. Uh, so,
0: given how uh, problematic and terrifying public speaking is, uh, why would anybody do it?
1: <laughs> well, I guess I would say this is, is unique in that it's an opportunity to directly connect with people who want to understand what you do and, and want to know you better and your work. It's it's forging that human connection. It's, it's the merging of you and what you do listening to your voice, watching you when you speak, um, yes, nerve-wracking for the person doing it. But for the audience, it's, I, you know, and I've listened to plenty of artist talks. It's fascinating. And you you really feel a channel to what they're doing, much more so than reading something um, or just looking at the work alone. So that's the reason. And, and there may be to me there may be other benefits it may increase your sales somehow or have some other thing for your exposure but to me i don't think that's what you should be thinking about when you're doing it or preparing for it i think it should just be your sincere uh, attempt to connect with people and talk to them so do you
0: have any just practical tips for people who are going to be looking at doing some public speaking in the future
1: sure and i I would say most of these would be for uh, in-person presentations as opposed to uh, an on-air interview or something. Uh, the first one I already kind of mentioned, be as alert as you can be, uh, and try not to over-consume before the speech because you can feel like you're a little nervous and know oh, maybe another glass of wine would help. It probably won't. Um, if you If there doesn't seem to be a podium or nobody mentions it you could see if there would be something maybe if you're in a gallery maybe a pedestal that they would use for sculpture or something it's nice to have somewhere to put a glass of water to put some notes if you want to have them and just have somewhere to sort of either stand behind or rest your hands on because just standing in front of people can be awkward and it's always nice if you have just a little prop there <laughs> uh, may not always be possible but worth worth asking Um, whoever's going to introduce you, whether it's the gallery owner or if you're speaking to a group, maybe it's the the moderator or the group leader, um, it's good if you provide them with notes for their intro. I've noticed a lot of times that if you don't do that, it's natural. They take it off your website or something. Uh, How many of us have websites that are absolutely current? So (laughs) I know occasionally I've been introduced with some, with some rather out of date material because I didn't take the step of updating the person who was going to be doing it. And I take responsibility for that. So it's just something to try to remember, uh, to hand them something and say, here's, here's the notes for your intro. Um, biggest thing, and, and this is a huge one for me is to speak slowly and, I've been coached to sound like to myself, I'm going very slowly, (laughs) which that sounded like. Uh, When people are just listening, um, they may need a little more time to digest what you're saying. In this podcast, we speak very normally, probably sometimes pretty quickly. Um, On the other hand, you can always re-listen if you want. people in an audience don't have that opportunity. And so actually practice in front of someone and ask particularly about the speed that you're speaking and see if they think it's too fast. People are rarely too slow. (laughs) It's just much more that in, in some way you want to just get it over with, right? So you're kind of rushing through it. Um, I just did this. I went, um, and people can be very self-conscious about, um, and, you know, and I think, and those kind of phrases. It's good to be conscious of them as much as you can be, but I wouldn't stress about it too much unless you know you have a problem with overdoing this because it's part of most people's normal speech. And it 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 can make the speech sounds more natural if you're not super concerned about editing every word that comes out of your mouth. Uh, be aware of your tone of voice, and this is another thing to practice. It can, you know, you're sort of going on about your work. It it can come off in various ways that are not all that um, enhancing for people listening to it. You might sound a little preachy or, or teachy or, uh, I don't know, even over-exaggerating or talking too much about your accomplishments or anything, you really just as much as possible want this to feel like something you would say to someone in normal conversation, right? So if somebody said, well, why did you do this? What are you doing? You know, you just sort of answer without going into a, you know, a treatise on your work necessarily, but being sincere, honest, and interesting, but there's, there is a tone of voice thing that I think is important. And again, you can get feedback on this. And one of the things that is really nice is if you don't, if you have some kind of visual aid for your talk, one of the things that you can look to as a model are TED Talks. And if you're not familiar with these, most people are, but they're online. There are talks about all kinds of things. But TED Talks are good models because I think Generally, the tone that people deliver them in is conversational, interesting, friendly, and they always have uh, slides and things that they're putting up on the wall. When this is your own work and you're and you're just showing as a slide talk of your work, basically, or PowerPoint, it, there's a couple of really nice advantages. People are not staring at you. They're looking at the screen, and you also can direct your own... The, the, whatever is on the screen can can give you direction about what to say. I mean it keeps you on track. Yeah, so, it, it keeps people's attention,
0: too. If there's some movement going on, um, it's it's kind of easy for people to zone out. People have the attention span of about like a goldfish. <laughs> so if you have something going on, if you have some visual aids, some movement, you're moving around on the stage. You see that a lot in TED Talks yes. where they, they kind of walk around, they gesture with their hands. Mm-hmm. Um, anything that's kind of visual is going to help keep people's attention and keep things moving.
1: Yeah, very true. And And if you are in a gallery with your work... Sometimes it's not possible to go from painting to painting because of a crowd or whatever it is, but at least gesture towards paintings or maybe move yourself a little bit more in front of a certain painting that you want to talk about. So like you said, there's some movement, there's some energy that's coming from you other than just standing and talking. Usually uh, you will have some time for questions and you know I think it's a good thing to invite questions. This is a, a personal one for me. Um I have uh, hearing issues. I don't. I have a hearing loss, and so if people are coming at me with questions from the audience, I don't hear them and and don't understand them. So if you have any type of hearing loss or difficulty with handling questions beforehand, you say to whoever's in charge during the question and answer period, I may need for you to repeat the question to me so I get it. And they'll be fine with that. So that uh, that's kind of a tricky one, and and. You know, it can make you feel self-conscious, but it's better than stumbling along and not understanding what people are asking you. and And I think the last tip is, when it's all said and done, and you're all done, try not to overanalyze it and and think you did terrib- a terrible job. It's so easy to think that. I I almost always do. I feel bad after a podcast. I think, well, I must have sounded terrible. You know. It's it's that feeling of being in the spotlight and it makes you self-conscious. Usually, if there's any recording or just believe people, if they say you were fine, <laughs> um, it's hard to judge yourself in that way.
0: Yeah, it's funny. Almost every time when you tell me, oh, I don't think that one was very good, you go back and listen to it and you're like, it was fine.
1: Yeah, exactly. You, your own version of whatever it was you said is is going to be a little bit off. And that that kind of leads me to... Um, a few of the things to think about when you're planning one of these is how much do you want to script it?
0: Uh, before we move on, I'd, I'd like to add just a couple more tips. Oh, sure. Yeah. Um, in, in a in a presentation or a speech, the beginning and the ending are the two most important parts. Um, The beginning of the speech is the point where it's where you will have the entire audience's attention. As I stated earlier, people have very short attention spans. Um, and so basically the only time when you're going to have the full attention of the room is about like the first seven seconds. So one thing that you do not want to do is walk out in front of a people, a group of people and say, hi, my name is Rebecca Kroll. Thanks for coming out tonight. You want to come out and you want to launch right into it.
1: Right. And And, if you have if you have thank yous, a lot of times you want to say thank you to the venue. Thank you to whatever. You can do that at the end. Right. 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 Um, Well, I would I would say maybe that's like the second to last thing that you would
0: do is Mm -hmm. is thank thank the venue. Um, You want to because the closing is also very important because that's. Um, people, what people remember is the last thing that they heard. Mm-hmm. Um, so you want your closer to be, you want to script a, you know, a last sentence to say that, that really encapsulates the, the feeling of the speech. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, and your work. And that, that can be like a, a one sentence artist statement. That you craft, and that's and and if you do questions at the end, you want to restate that after the uh, you know you say you thank the venue after the questions, and then you say your last kind of one sentence artist statement. Um, But in that in that opening, uh, you really want to hook the audience. You want to say you know uh, start start with an anecdote. Uh, Some people start with a joke. Um, You only want to start with a joke if you're actually funny. true (laughs) but but you want to have something that you want to have a crafted opening and a crafted closing that you use to hook the audience within the first like seven seconds and then in that closing uh something that they're going to walk away with and remember
1: yeah and as soon as you say that i can remember lots of times listening to artist talks where people do take quite a while to get going and and i've probably done it myself just um and and there's sort of often tends to be some shuffling and coughing going on. People aren't really settled into their seats maybe and have trying to finish up whispering something to their friend and you feel like you don't have their attention right right away
0: and we know this intuitively if we if we look at kind of the great speeches in history if you look at martin luther king's i have a dream speech it doesn't start with him saying hey i'm martin luther king thanks for everybody for coming out tonight it's great to see everybody here you know and he doesn't end with okay thanks thanks for having me here guys i really enjoyed it you know Uh, it's he had had a very strong opening very strong closing
1: Yeah. And that's true again with the TED Talks as models. They definitely grab yes. your attention right away. They must get coached or taught to do this because there's a similarity to the way they're delivered, which is good. It's right. it, They're usually really good. But if
0: there's like one thing that I, that I can give people in terms of advice on public speaking, it's that strong opening, strong closing.
1: Yeah. Okay, good. Um, so a few more things to consider. And I mentioned scripting and I'm going to get to that in one second. But before you get into that there is one thing to think about who you're talking to. And when we're talking about art, this is important. If we're talking to a group in a gallery, probably there's an assumption that most people have some art background or art awareness. If it's more of a community group, um, maybe less so. But most people that, most groups are going to be mixed. There's going to be people that just totally get what you're saying and people that may be a little perplexed. And I think this is tricky. You sort of have to pitch it to the middle, not talking down to people, not making assumptions about what people know. Um, and I, one of the things that I think is a good tip in that is if you have any technical terms or art terms that you think people might not know, just do a quick aside explanation. For example, if I were going to talk about making monotypes, and I would probably think there'd be people in the room that wouldn't know what that was. And so I might just say, well, as an aside, a monotype is in one sentence explanation. Or I might say, um, talking about the degrees I have, and I might say, I have an MFA. Well, if you're not in the art world, you might not know that means masters of fine art. So to actually just spell it out and say what it is is going to be a little bit helpful. It's not talking down to anyone to do that. Um, If you When you're talking about what you're doing, I think it's more interesting to talk about your process, your internal process, and you may want to talk about the actual process of the work itself, but things like, well, I ask myself, how do I do this? Or I wondered about such and such. Instead of something more formal, like I am investigating this question, um, when you say I was wondering, I noticed something like that, that puts people into your space, your headspace a little bit better, so so that your thoughts are also a process that can enter into your talk. So back to scripting, it really depends to me, and when I speak, whether how formal the situation is. The more formal, the more that I would have some sort of a script, and I think it's okay to even read that at times if, and I'll say if, you're basically reading an essay in which one point depends on another and you don't want to leave anything out. And so in that case, and you've you've thought about it, you've crafted your words, those can be interesting, but they have to be delivered with expression and not just staring at your paper the whole time, looking up at the audience as much as you possibly can. Uh, I've done this a few times and... It's certainly easier in a way you don't have to memorize or rely on sketchier notes, but of course it takes away from the conversational aspect of it. So that, so that's what I mean about sort of who's your audience, what's the setting, what's most appropriate for this particular group of people, formal, informal, um, scripted, or just using some very basic notes.
0: Well, and, and I think that, that becoming uh, very scripted in terms of your speech giving, I mean, while it's appropriate in some circumstances, it can be a bit of a crutch for people. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, you know, I've noticed uh, when you talk with somebody who... Um, has given who has done a lot of public speaking maybe they've given that the same speech 50 times or something and you you ask them one thing and all of a sudden they're just launching into the speech that they've given 50 times yeah you know and you're like okay well I I just wanted to talk you know
1: (laughs) (laughs) right you want to keep it fresh and you want to keep it as um as related to the people you're talking to, as you can be, and if somebody's right. just doing that in conversation, they're not, they're not really talking to you. So, um, I, as I said, I think there are times when a very scripted talk is okay, but most of the time it's not what people are there for. They're, they're there more to understand you as a person and for you to be personable and conversational. And there's sometimes you feel like you're acting, you feel like you're, uh, not quite yourself. Well you are acting, okay? It's all right. I mean, I, it's hard to avoid. You're in a position where you wouldn't normally be, so it's okay to be a little bit not yourself, but you know, try to keep within boundaries of what you would like to project to people. Um, when you go to speak about your work, think about how you want to organize it. And I would say there are some some common ways of organizing and that work quite well, and one is um, just chronological. Uh, but this can be a bit dull because it's, I did this, and then I did that, and then I did this. So if you want to do it chronologically, uh, I would say include some anecdotes or something to give it some life, you know, keep it moving. Uh, Another approach, though, is to talk about your work thematically, your ideas, uh, influences, and you probably want to include some biography or some chronology so that people understand that one thing leads to another, uh, maybe ending then with some current work, but focusing more on ideas and um, themes that you've worked with. The length of it, you probably will know the length ahead of time. Somebody will say, well, I'm giving you half an hour or whatever it is. If you're worried about going over that, have somebody that will give you a little signal, and it could be a friend in the audience or somebody that will just sort of halfway raise their hand. You have to remember to look at that person, but if you're starting to become nervous about going on too long, you can you can look over and see if they're doing anything to let you know. Um, and the moderator may also say, well we're we're coming to the end or something like that. And that's the main things I came up with when I when I thought about doing this.
0: Yeah, I, I guess one thing that I would add is, um, if you really want to engage your audience, uh, what people are really attracted to are stories. Yes. Um, stories are, The difference between stories and just noise is like the difference between music and noise. You know, there's something in our brain that's that's attracted to that structure. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, if you look at the way stories are organized, there's kind of a beginning, middle and end. We have a hero. The hero has a problem um and it's the story is about them solving that problem often there's some kind of guide who enters and and helps them with their problem and then there's some kind of resolution um so if you're if you're thinking about your work uh, and how to talk about it, I, I would suggest thinking about it in those terms. you know what what was the you're you're entering, you're telling your story and the story of your work. So you know, if you're the hero in this story, what was your problem and what did you solve and and mm-hmm. and how is this work kind of the completion and the resolution of that? And if you can draw that kind of story arc as you talk, um it'll keep people engaged in what you're saying. Mm-hmm.
1: It really does. Interest people. And we've noticed that even in the podcast, some of the podcasts that get more um, people listening or responding are ones where there has been some resolution of a problem. Somebody's talking about it, or we're talking about it. We're people, we're human, and we want the artist up in front of us to show their humanity as well, I think. And then one way of doing that is, like you say, to share those challenges, stories, and the kind of the arc of the story, how how things have gone over time, and where they are now.
0: Well, do you have any final thoughts to wrap up this episode?
1: Yeah, um, I guess as I said earlier, when you when you take on that challenge to talk about your work, no matter what the context is, uh, informal, formal, in person, behind a mic, it is a way to be seen as as the person, as the human being behind the work, and so. That's that's your starting point, and and to remember that audiences do tend to be interested and accepting and non-judgmental because they are interested. And as with anything, it does get easier the more you do it. So you start somewhere, (laughs) start somewhere where you you're more comfortable, perhaps, and then work your way up.
0: Well, that about wraps up this episode of the Messy Studio. You can find The Messy Studio on Facebook as well as public profiles for both Rebecca Kroll and myself, Ross Tickner. Please make sure to check out squeegeepress.com as well as www.rebeccacroll.com and sign up for the email list to stay up to date on events, book signings, and openings. Please subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, TuneIn, or Stitcher and leave us a rating and a review. Remember to share the show with friends and family and anyone who you think will enjoy it thanks for listening we'll be back again next week with more art and entertainment in the meantime
1: embrace your creative space
0: messy or otherwise
1: thanks everybody